Oh, that's interesting. That's a good one. She does a good job with those, don't she? Amen. I have a short message tonight on refuting atheism. Two short points on refuting atheism. We know that there's only two options. If God exists, there's only two options for eternity, heaven or hell. These are just some like basic Bible things, very basic. And if we're all self-proclaiming Christians that claim to believe in God, think about this. Why wouldn't we then read the Bible for ourselves to see what God has to say about the afterlife? I'm being really generic and vague, but it's like a real basic truth. How many uh, Americans claim to be Christian but yet they literally don't even know what Jesus said about going to heaven. But often we'll run into atheists. Huh. They'll claim that they don't believe in a God, but would rather literally put more faith in the idea of anything else. Anything else. Aliens, multiple dimensions. Well, actually, we kind of are multiple dimensions, I guess, if we want to call it that. But, but, but aliens from another planet, uh, uh, a meteorite with mold that turned into something that came into something else, uh, you know, uh, anything, anything. They just, they'll, they'll believe anything, the, the, uh, the, 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 the faith of evolution, because there's faith involved with that. They believe that nothing, something came from nothing. That's, you have, there's a belief there, whether they want to acknowledge that or not. There's a measure of faith. We are monotheist, monotheistic. It means we believe that there can only be one God. That's what we are. There's people that would call themselves agnostic theists. That means that there's one or more gods, that there's no way to find out either way. There's agnosticism, which uh, our, our kind neighbor Chris uh, claims to be agnostic, uh, even though he says he believes there's a God, he says he's agnostic. But agnosticism believes that you, you just can't know anything. You just there's no way of knowing nothing. Uh, then you have atheists, a- atheism, and a belief that there's no God at all. The ironic thing about an atheist is that um, they're putting their trust in something. They're choosing to believe. It's something. I mean, we could read Romans chapter 1 all day. You know, it's, it's talking about them. But even if they don't want to admit it, it's like a religion. They'll fight tooth and nail to support something that, at the end of the day, requires a measure of faith that something came from nothing. I believe that something, well, I wouldn't say something came from nothing. I would say that God always existed and God created something from nothing. Amen. Here's two basic arguments, quick, not super deep tonight, two basic arguments from atheists and the biblical answers to them. An atheist might say, if God created us, then why do we live in an imperfect world? I remember an a, a Indian lady, uh, I, was, I worked in physical therapy uh, at the nursing home um, 
on the side and throughout my summers. And um, man, them old ladies loved me. I was like, you know, under 75 and I could walk without a cane. It was, uh, I have disturbing stories of, amen. Uh, um, but, but, uh, yeah, too many stories. I got to filter so, so much of that out. Um, but the physical therapist, she was an Indian woman that um, um, did not believe in Christianity at all. She would talk about celebrating Christmas. And I would say, Savita, why do you celebrate Christmas? I said, you wear all the Christmas. You celebrate Christmas, but you don't believe what you're celebrating. I said, what? She goes, well, I like the spirit of it. Uh, I just like the parties, and I like being with everybody. And I understand what she's saying, but she didn't believe it. But she made the statement one time. We were talking about uh, God and no God and, and whatnot. I was like a 15-year-old boy, uh, stronger and more handsome than other 15-year-old boys in the room uh, at the time. And uh, she said that if I was God, I would make a world with no war and no sickness. And I got to thinking about that. And I didn't have an answer for her. Because what she was saying was, hey, if there's a God, why does he allow, uh, uh, if he created us, why does he allow this imperfect world? That's really what the question was boiling down to. And you know what the answer is? God did create perfect world he did the garden of eden was perfect look at genesis 131 genesis 131 and god saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good in the evening and the morning were the sixth day if if a if a perfect god that can create everything out of nothing just by his words if he says it's very good folks it's very good uh, I think on our level of standards of, of, of good, better, best, uh, when God says it was very good, that's way more than perfect. Right. Amen. But what made it so perfect? You know, the temperature was perfect. There was no storms. There was no hurricanes. There was no earthquakes. How can you say that? Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. I'm just going to point out a few verses talking about how it was a perfect world, a perfect environment. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not man to till the ground. Not only was the earth and the Garden of Eden created fully furnished for mankind, I mean fully furnished. I bet the gardens were so colorful and beautiful. I bet the grass was so green. But there wasn't any storms. The, the temperature would have been perfect because storms come as a fluctuation of the weather. If water's being coming from the ground like a mist every morning, there's no storm clouds passing over. So all of a sudden the temperature's great. There's no crazy storm things happening. The, the, the world's at peace. Literally the, the world, literally the earth is at peace with itself. It's not moaning and groaning like it is nowadays. I mean, God made a perfect environment literally more than we can comprehend. We're just like thinking of just these little service things that, that come to our mind and we see a little bit here and there when we study. But not only was it perfect, 
physically. It was, it was a true paradise physically, but it was a true paradise spiritually. And, and we literally cannot imagine that. We can imagine a paradise physically. We can imagine it. Like when the kids are gone, we finally get 10 minutes to ourselves. Amen. Look at Genesis 2.25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They weren't ashamed because there is no sin yet in the present world. I, I mean, I mean, there's no, there's no guilt trips. There's no lust. There's no jealousy. I mean, there's no back talking. There's no, there's no anger. There's no hindrance of any kind between God and man. We literally can't imagine that. I can't. I mean, I, I try to imagine it. It's like trying to imagine heaven. I, I, you know, we have fun trying, but like, you just, we can't. I mean, we, we can't even understand angels. Amen. I can't even understand women. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I, uh, I think that would explain, too, why Jesus was able to seemingly, seemingly walk and talk with Adam and Eve physically in the cool of the day because there's no hindrance between God and man why couldn't he walk and talk with them physically we can't imagine that you know wow according to the Bible God created a perfect paradise in every way that we literally can't imagine no sickness no death no pain no sorrow and then man not God man messed it all up Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam bears a great responsibility. You want to talk about um, the, the, the importance that God puts on the authority? We're not just talking about the authority in the home, authority in a, a marriage, but authority in general. God puts a great deal of emphasis on authority. And, and what does Satan want to do? Flip that around to where the, the woman's leading the home. You know, women are leading anything you want to think about. And, I, and I'm not against women being in charge of this or that. I'm just saying the, Satan wants to turn that around to men are a bunch of yuppies just following the women around. My brother told me in New Zealand, he said, that is like, he said, you wouldn't believe the culture there. He said, it's like women aren't just, just in charge and they're aggressive and they're, they're, they're awful. Amen. So the short answer to the question is, according to the Bible, God did create a perfect world, but man messed it up. It, it's a pretty simple answer. This isn't a too in-depth uh, question here. Number two, why would a loving God send good people to hell for all of eternity? Doesn't that seem harsh? Yes, according to our standards, according to our moral law, that seems harsh. First of all, we can't comprehend the horror of sin for what it is. We can't comprehend it. We literally can't comprehend it, how awful our sin is. Because everything that we do, we all justify what we do, every one of us. You know, the... the the, the rapist and the murderer that's sitting in the prison cell tonight will say, man, I did wrong and I did bad, but really I'm a good guy and really there's a lot of good in me. And, and right, we can find good in everybody. 
but they're going to justify and minimize what they've done. They're going to justify what they've done. If you're to back talk your mama, you get soap in your mouth. I'd get a, I'd get paddled. <clears throat> I tell Brother Riley last night um, that was actually a okay. <laughs> That was no problem. It was when dad spanked us that there was a problem. We had to act like we were hurt when mom spanked us. Amen. Don't amen too loud, brother Tony. Your mom might watch this one night. Amen. Amen. If you were to back talk your daddy, you might get a whip. If you were to cheat on a test at school, you'd get detention. If you were to steal a car, you'd find yourself in a jail cell. If you're still from the bank, you'd find yourself in prison for a long time. If you kill another person, you, you could end up with the death penalty. You say, why, why am I saying all that? Because the greater that the offense is to, the greater the consequence that you get. That is just the way it is. It's just the way it is. That's why... The, when we think, well, it's just a little sin. We don't understand how great of a deal that is to an almighty God. In, in our natural selves, our fleshly selves, we say, well, shouldn't it be a, a less horrific option like 20 years hard time or something? You know, just let me, let me pay the price for my sins and then I can get into heaven, right? You know, the Catholic Church didn't come up with purgatory. That, that wasn't just um, um, pulled out of thin air. It's a response to this question. The Catholic Church did pull that out of thin air. They just decided on purgatory. And you say, well, prove it. They, they proved it. Uh, Council of Trent, 8600, I think I'm saying that right. They literally just said, you know what? We believe in purgatory now. But the idea that we can somehow pay for our sins for a period of time to somehow make us holy. That's exactly, that's exactly what, what the idea is. Well, let me just pay for my sins later and we'll get into heaven. Look at 1 Timothy 2.4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The very concept of purgatory minimalizes the sacrifice that was made on the cross of Calvary. Right. To the core. Yeah. It's literally like a slap in the face to Jesus Christ and to God sending his son to die. Because if there was such thing as a purgatory, then why did he die on the cross at all? If we could pay for our own sins, then Christ... Precious blood would be in vain. So the question is, why would a loving God send good people to hell for all of eternity? The short answer is, he doesn't. God doesn't force anybody to do anything. God doesn't force you to spend eternity with him. I thank God for the free will that he gave to every single person that is born. I'm so thankful for that. And then always in the argument, the atheist will always say to you, uh, well, then God should just make us love everybody then. Can I force Rachel to love me? No. Not even close. Um, 
Can any man force any woman to love him? No. Vice versa? No. Why? Because that's not love. That's just creepiness. You know, that's just, you know, you get somebody that's going to force you to love them. That, that's, that, that's, that's abuse is what that is. If we can understand that a loving God loves us so much, he'll allow us to have free will to do whatever we want because he loves us that much, even if we choose to not spend eternity with him. James chapter 1, verse 13. I love how everybody's always there. That's so cool. James 1, 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Look at that free will all over that verse. Then when lust uh, hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God doesn't force anyone to be with him for eternity. Whether or not the lost man realizes it, they are worshiping someone. They don't think they are. Oh, but they are. Oh, they, they absolutely are. Amen. It's either their father, the devil, or the God of all creation. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said himself, You're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh, uh, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Look at Revelation 14, 11. This will be our last verse of the night. Revelation 14, 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image. Who are we talking about? People that don't love the Lord. People who have not accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Let's start that verse over. And the smoke of their torment... Uh, ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. God doesn't send anyone to their second death that didn't first deny the option of eternal life. What we do in our rebellious state, whether we're adults or we're children, we just want to blame God for everything and justify all of our sins all the time. Any parent understands or anybody that's ever been in a leadership role will understand. You will always have the immature that will always be rebellious, that will always act a fool, that will always blame somebody else, usually authority, for all of their problems. That's what the lost man does. That's, what, that's our natural sinful state. We're going to blame the, who's the ultimate authority? God. They're worshiping the beast the entire time, whether they realize it or not. So one, if God created us, then why do we live in an imperfect world? The answer is God did make a perfect world, and we ruined it with our sin. Number two, why would a loving God send good people to hell for all of eternity? And the answer is he doesn't. God gave us a free will to do with whatever we want to do with our lives. That includes what we do, where we go, who we serve. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yeah. What's the Calvinist do with that verse? 
I don't even, like, you got to jump through hoops to explain that away. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That is not what he wants for anybody. You know, when, he, when God sent his son to die on the cross, it wasn't for, like, this many people for just this. No, this is the sins of the entire world. Why? Because he loves everybody. Well, why, well, amen. Amen. I get worked up over atheists. I thank God for a loving Christ who is willing to sacrifice himself for somebody as wicked as this guy. Because I'm pretty wicked. And the more that I read this word, the more I understand how more wicked I was, or I am now than I was before, because I'm understanding the depth of it. The problem is when the, the more shallow we are, the more we think that we're somebody and we're doing really good and we're better than so and so. We're comparing ourselves among ourselves and it ain't wise. But the more we get in that book, buddy, it's a mirror and all of a sudden, wow, <laughs> I'm really nothing. Amen. I'm thankful that, that we're not agnostic saying, no, we can't believe in nothing. Because the truth is, If you're truly agnostic, that just means you're truly lazy to not look into anything for nothing. That's just being honest, okay? And the atheist is putting their trust in something uh, without really looking into any evidence. And I say that, and you say, what? I was taught science all my life. I would say if you were honest with the science, science points to a creator. If you were honest with it. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for your word. Uh, Help us, Lord, to understand your word a little better, Lord, refuting uh, the atheist.